1: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you today on the What Differences Make podcast? Are you ready for an eruption of a podcast?
0: Oh, I am feeling unchained today, Dave. All right. And why is that today, Holly? (laughs) Today, we are talking to author Steve Rosen. He's written a book called Tone Chaser on Edward Van Halen. Yeah, it turns out Steve has
1: an amazing relationship with Eddie Van Halen early in his career. and got to know Eddie and what makes Eddie tick.
0: He had a professional and a personal relationship with him. They became friends before they got big. So he's got some really great stories and a great book.
1: The the book is called Tone Chaser and it is out now. It's available at ToneChaserBook.com and Holly and I got into it and so we had questions And we invited him onto the podcast. And now here we
0: are. But first, you'll find outtakes from this interview with Steve on our social media, on our YouTube channel, at What Difference Does It Make Podcast, and on our social media at WDDIM Podcast.
1: In the meantime, you don't need to search anymore if you want to hear some stories about Eddie Van Halen. Because we've got Steve Rosen in our virtual studios right now. So let's get to it. The book is called Tone Chaser. It's the story of Eddie Van Halen.
0: And we start off our episode trying to figure out what we call Mr. Van Halen.
2: This is the What Difference Does It Make podcast. You, you, you know, it's not Ed, it's not Eddie, it's Edward. You know, he would refer to himself as Edward. You know, we call the phone, hey, Steve, Edward, how's it going? You know, I go, oh, great, man. So typically somebody, the way they refer to themselves is the way they would like to be uh, referred to, I think. so.
0: You mentioned in the book that he said that later on people started just calling him Eddie, but it felt weird.
2: Yes. He- I think he also said Alex used to call him Ed. And of course, a brother. Um, yeah, but he always felt a little funny hearing Eddie. Um, I don't know why. Maybe because he was so used to hearing Edward. Or somehow he thought that maybe those people calling him Eddie felt closer to him, like they knew him on some level, and, and maybe Ed didn't think they knew him. I I, I don't know. I'm just trying to <laughs> go and this, Yeah. You know? It was a big discussion. You know, what, what do we call him today? What was your background before you met Eddie Edward Ed? Eddie Edward Ed Ludwig. So... I was writing for a high school newspaper. I was a pretty voracious reader. I was reading a lot of books. In what city, what
1: high school, in what what state? I went to Culver City
2: High School. Okay. Yeah, so Culver City was like the best-kept secret in the West Side, you know. For years, it's like, you know, where are you from, Steve? Well, I'm from Culver City. And they go, Culver City, is that that near Beverly Hills? Yeah, I had no idea, you know. But I mean, you know, the schools were amazing. It was close to the beach. All the studios were there. And 40 years later, Culver City is now they give this place in the right. i right, and the whole website. So I was writing for a high school newspaper. I love doing that. I was going out to the clubs. I had like a little letter typed up. I sent out to the clubs like the whiskey and the Troubadour, Golden Bear, Ice House. So, hey, I write for my high school newspaper. And, you know, we have 1,800 students, you know, they could all be potential People coming to your, to your shows, you know, can I come and review for my newspaper, the Culver City Centurion? And they all said, yes, come on by, you know. The Ice House out in Pasadena, they used to, like, serve me dinner. they go, anything you want off the menu, you know, and they serve drinks. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was just a little high school, you know, nothing, nobody. So I was reading a lot. I was reading a guitar player magazine, the early days of guitar player. This is, like, 71, 72. And I remember reading an issue. It was a Dickie Betts article. And I thought, you know what, I can do that. You know, I I don't think this writer's that good. I mean, he was a good writer, but it wasn't wasn't like I was blown away by his writing. And and I knew as much about Dickie Betts as he did. You know, I, I can do this. So I started writing. I started sending out reviews and concert reviews to anybody I could, being turned down by everybody. You know, Rolling Stone and Guitar Player and Circus and Cream, all these magazines that I desperately wanted to be in. Finally got something printed in this little softcore, like, porn newspaper called the L.A. Star. And it was only softcore porn because with one of those newspapers, you know, you charted the back for the massage head, you know. <laughs> I mean, their music section was like eight lines, you know. But I sent them some reviews, some live reviews. I remember West Bruce, and Lang, and T-Rex, and they printed them. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm on my way now. Hmm. So jumping ahead, you know, you use that as a little launch pad. Ultimately, I I started writing for Guitar Player and Circus and Cream, all those magazines that turned me down. Years later, ultimately, I wrote a couple of stories for Rolling Stone. You know, and it just grows from there. I started writing for a lot of foreign magazines, a lot of stuff in Japan and Europe, you know, Germany and Italy, Spain. And, you know, it just kind of grows. And in 77, I meet this. Edward Van Halen, and by that time I'd been writing for about four years. Uh, I'd already been writing for guitar player. And um, we meet on a June night in 1977. I'd been writing for four years. I'd met a lot of amazing guitar players by that time. So I wasn't easily impressed. I didn't know how he played. I didn't know that he was this Da Vinci of the guitar. I'd heard of Edward Van Halen, everybody had heard of Van Halen, but I'd never heard him play. That would come when I, I subsequently somewhere I saw the band play live after that. Then the first record comes out several months later, February 78, and uh, I hear it. And again, I write about it. I'm not blown away. I mean, look, man, I've heard Richie Blackmore. I've heard guys doing fast shuffle. I've heard the best guitar players in the world. I grew up on those guys, you know, Jeff Beck and Clapton and Hendricks and P. Towns and you know, so I listen, I go, ah, oh, he's, he's good, you know? And, and then I listened the next day and I, and I realized what it was I was missing and maybe not wanting to recognize because I thought that maybe he was, he spelled the death knell of all that classic rock that I love, which it sort of did. long answer to a Mm -hmm. a, a short question. I'm doing quick
1: math because if you were in high school in the early 70s you guys were about the same age right like
2: we, were, we yeah. were. Ed was two years younger. Yeah. Though he professed to be four years younger when he and Alex were 24 or something. They they claimed they were 22 because somehow being 22 was going to make him more hip or you know cooler to fans. Like it really mattered if he was 22 and not 24. And that's how he would think. That's what was so unbelievably charming about the guy thinking. Well, if they think I'm two years younger, man, I'm gonna. They're gonna think I'm even that much better. I, you know, I mean, it's just remarkable to me that he would think like that.
1: Do you think it was because he thought he should have been better? I
2: absolutely think it was that reason. I don't know if he thought he could have been better, but I, I think that being two years younger gave him like a an escape route. Sort of peripherally. Yeah, if they don't think I'm that good, well, I'm only 22. Hmm. Wait till I'm 24 and then hear me play. I've interviewed hundreds of guitar players. I've never heard of any of them lying about their age as a sort of a defense mechanism in case, you know, uh, fans don't think they're good enough or something.
0: Oh, I kind of thought about it from the other side. He could be still be considered a boy genius.
2: Exactly. I think he thought maybe on, on that as well. Yeah, by being 22, oh my God, people look at me. I'm 22 and I'm doing this just imagine what I'll be doing when I'm 24. That could have been part of it as well. You know, and I try to write about it. He was humble and he was modest, but he knew who he was. He knew the those talents he had, so he never tried to diminish those. You do mention that
1: Eddie gave his blessing. I want you to be the guy to tell my story. Okay, so first of all, how long into the relationship were you?
2: So I met him in 77, and I think I, I literally typed up a paragraph. Uh, I, Stephen Rosen, I'm going to write Edward's authorized biography. Nobody else can do it. I think that was 84. That was literally one paragraph. I signed it, and Edward signed it. Uh, so that's seven years. And then I recount the story about going to Edwards lawyer and there's a little bit more of a formal contract run up and that was only two or three paragraphs. I think that was 85. So seven to eight years. Um, so it was a, a fair amount of time that had gone by. Um, and I, you know, I just sensed that they're going to be writers coming out of the, the woodwork wanting to write a book about Edward and not that that was my main reason, but I just thought that nobody else w- was in a position like I was. Nobody else was hanging out with him, you know, almost daily and, and doing all these interviews with him. And I thought I could write a good book. I, I could write a book that nobody else could. And so when I approached him, I said, Edward, you know, uh, other guys are going to approach you to write a book. I I'd like to write a book on you. And he goes, yeah, not. I can't think of anybody else I could do it. And that blew me away. And uh, so we signed that first little contract. And then um, later on, he actually gave me some money. That little um, 1099 form is in the the book too. Um, He gave me five Mm -hmm. grand, which back in 85 is a lot of money. Um, You know, that was, you know, more than generous. And he realized that I was working on the book, gathering interviews, and and I I had, I had spent a fair amount of time by then kind of putting the book together from that first contract in 84 to 85. And he recognized that. And that blew me away. Just the fact that he recognized it. Look, the money was fantastic. I'm not going to lie to you. But just the fact that he recognized what was going on, that at the end of all this, it was going to be this book. That's what was important to me. And I kept working on it kept working on it, you know. And again, I write about this. And Ed, you know, know, we need to sit down. And, you know, I, I need to talk to you about all this other stuff that we don't talk about in the regular interviews for the magazine. I wanted to talk to him about his family and his relationship with his mom and his relationship with his brother. And what was he like as a seven year old Van Halen back in the Netherlands and coming to America. And I mean, God, there was just so much. And part of me understood it. And part of me couldn't understand it all. Part of me thought, you know, when he said, well, man, now it's not the right time because I've, we're just about to go in and do another record. And if we do, do the book now, that means that record doesn't get talked about or if they were between records, it's like, well, if we do the, do it now, People think my career is over, you know, because books only come out on artists when their career is over. I try to say, "Ed, that's not true. That doesn't happen, you know. And then at one point he said, hey, why don't we do two parts, you know, from the first record up until the first family record. And then from then on, I go, Ed, that's an amazing idea, you know, because it was germinating in his head. He approached me with that idea. And it was so hard for me to instill that idea in him that there's this book and it's important and we need to do it because I think with Ed on any given day, it wasn't important or I don't have time for it or I'll never have time for it. You know, so at the end of the day, it never materialized, obviously. And it goes back, you know, kind of highlight like, what we talked about before about how he sensed himself as a 22-year-old or his 24-year-old. I don't know if he had a really a sense of his own legacy or who he was or what he had done to change electric guitar. I don't know. I think about that, you know, what would that book have been compared to what this book would have been? It would have been entirely different. Obviously you don't have any of the intervening years though. I never spoke to Ed from 2003 to to 2020, but it wouldn't have been any of those other years post 1987 or 88 when the book may have come out. I think most of it would have been Edwards uh, dialogue, with very little narrative from me. So it would have been a different book. would have been a really good book, but it would have been different. So this is the book that was supposed to have been. Because you came from a musician standpoint. Do you think
1: he thought that the book would focus more on the musicianship of Eddie Van Halen instead of going back to his childhood and digging up all those old whatever stories that, uh, that he wants to avoid or maybe not talk about?
2: I never thought about it, and I always, whenever I talked to him about doing more interviews, it was never like, Ed, you know, I need to do more interviews with you because I need to know exactly what kind of paint you used on the the first guitar, exactly how you wound your strings, man, or what, exactly how you you know where your tone settings, you know, or who were your influences and what did your songwriting like. All that stuff was important, but that's really not the book I wanted to write at all. I thought, really, I had covered most of that stuff in my interviews. You know, I thought I could just pull from that. Because I don't think that's the kind of a book she would have wanted to have done back then. Every time I brought up, and you know, I need to talk to your mom, your dad, I could feel like his eyes light up. I think he wanted that. You know, I I think he wanted me to talk to them. At one point, you know, I, I talk about interviewing his mom, and he says, well, I'd like to be there. As if one, he wasn't going to be there, two, I wasn't going to invite him, or three, he wouldn't be welcome. I mean, you know, that's how he thought. That was just so amazing to me. So that told me that he really wanted me to talk to his mom. And he really wanted someone to get those stories down. And again, he talked about his dad. You know, hey, Steve, did you ever interview my dad? I go, well, no, Ed, I asked you twice. And you never set it up, you, you dumb idiot. I didn't say that to him, but I mean, I, I got angry. He's like, hey, what do you think I'm doing here, man? I'm, I'm... And so I hope he didn't think it was going to be a book about his musicianship. Certainly, you, you know, you can't extricate one from the other, um, but that's not the kind of book I wanted to write at all. Subsequently, you know, we see those other books that have been out there, fantastic books, you know, Brad's book and Paul Brandingman's book. I mean, those are amazing books. Those guys are incredible writers and they dug so much deeper into that musicianship thing then even I did in my interviews with him. What was cool about my interviews that I did with him back in the day is that those were some of the very first interviews he did, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about tapping and talking about potting his pickups and building guitars and stuff, you know? So then it was kind of a new kind of vocabulary that, that was being introduced. And that's what was so cool about it. Well, I wonder to write a book like the book I wrote, you know, but mm-hmm. write it back then with all the additional interviews of him and his family. You should read that stuff he says about his mom. it's like, and his mom's family, like, well, what's behind that? And that's all gone, right? I mean, no one can ever talk about that now. I mean, Al, Right. I mean, yeah. you know, does he have any cousins or nephews? I mean, I mean, if he does, I'd imagine they're pretty old, right, back in, in the Netherlands or whatever. So those stories are gone forever for the most part. Have you
1: reached out to Alex to kind of fill in some of those gaps?
2: I have not. Do I think that Al and Wolf and, and Valerie have heard about the book? Probably. I mean, you know, Wolf is on his social media pretty actively. Hard to believe he hasn't seen the book or some mention of it. But, you know, Ed talks about him in the book when Wolf was only 11. and says, hey man, my kid, I thought him how to play drums, you know, in three minutes. And he plays with this little drum thing. This guy sounds like John Bonham. Al, again, there's one little episode in the book. Van Halen, we're going to open for Bon Jovi in Europe. I think this is 95. Al says some things about Bon Jovi. I print them. Ed says to me, hey, man, Al fucking hates you, man. You shouldn't have printed that stuff. You should have known better, which really pissed me off because for, for 27 years, you know, I have been interviewing and hanging out with Ed and he's had been telling me stuff and I never, ever divulged any of those things that he ever tells me. And then this little bit comes out where Al says, yeah, Bon Jovi, you know, they're lucky they have us on the tour or something like that. And Edward comes down on me. I mean, that that, that made, made me angry. So, does Al still remember me as yeah the fucking Rosen who wrote that stuff about Bon Jovi? I don't know. Valerie, you know, I thought I had a nice relationship with, and we played Scrabble, and they gave me a cat. She obviously loved Edward. I mean, I, I don't know. I mentioned earlier be, be careful what you wish for. As much as I would love to talk to those guys and say, hey, you guys, you know, have you read the book? Can we talk? Is there anything you want to talk about? It, it could come out negatively, and I just, I don't need to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I wrote an honest book, you know, and, you know, hopefully they'll recognize that someday. I don't know.
1: We are talking with Steve Rosen, the author of Tone Chaser. It's a story about Eddie Van Halen. He's a guitarist. He was in Van Halen.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report.
0: And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite.
2: We've got something pretty cool for you You're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
0: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we're back with our guest, Steve Rosen, author of Tone Chaser. Going back to the very beginning, you gave credit to the booker at the Whiskey for introducing you to Eddie. You said she had a Yenta-like radar, and that's why she oh, introduced you to him?
2: Michelle Meyer, my God. You know, I think of her all the time. I'm trying to think where I first met Michelle. I must have met her at the, at the Whiskey. Uh, as I read the book, I was at the Whiskey a lot. I was here every week, you know. All these bands that we now know, I mean, bands that are that were huge later on, Back in, you know, 73, 74, 75, a lot of these bands, you know, they were just coming out with first and second albums. So record companies, the publicists were desperate for you to interview them. And on the other side of that, they weren't playing the Forum. They weren't playing even the Sound of America. They were playing the Whiskey on off nights. So, yeah, so I was there a lot. I, I, I must have met Michelle. Somehow I, I told her that I was playing in a band, and she also booked a couple other clubs, Madame Wong's East and Madame Wong's West. Madam Wong's Eat was a pretty hip punk club at the time. I mean, there were a lot of pretty heavy punk bands playing there. And she booked my band, never having heard of, uh, into both clubs and I owed her. I loved her for doing that. I brought her flowers. I said, you know, I mean, I loved her for doing that. Michelle was a Yenta a thousand percent. She knew every band worth hearing. She knew I was writing for Guitar Magazine. So I'm there this noon night in 1977 to see uh, and hear Steve Trick record a live record. And this is right before Steve Trick records the Live at Budokan record, right before they blow up. It's fairly well known, but nothing like they would become a short time later. So I'm there, and uh, she comes up behind me. She taps me on the shoulder and says, there's somebody you have to meet. He's upstairs. So we go upstairs to the whiskey dressing room, which are these famous garbage-strewn graffiti walls. It smells like a thousand years of cigarettes and urine on the walls, and empty beer cans. I mean, it's rock and roll. I mean, the place is uh, like a museum. You know, we walk in, and I'm there with my brother, Mick, and there's this guy over in the corner, and, um, you know, I look at him, and, and again, I try to remember if I recognized this person as Edward Van Halen. I'd never seen the band play. I don't even know if they'd done any interviews back then, by then, you know, or Cream or Circus. You know, this is 77. I mean, they were still, they were just Still playing the whiskey and backyard parties. The first record hadn't come out. I mean, I may have recognized him somehow. And all I could think of, well, my God, this guy, and I write, if he's not a guitar player, you know, he's got the most amazing hair and he's got the cheekbones and he holds a cigarette perfectly, you know, and he's slender and he's felt and he's sleek, you know, it's like, oh my God. Walk over and, and she goes, uh, Edward Dan Halen, this is Steve Rosen, Steve Rosen. I think you called him Eddie, Eddie Van Halen, Godhead, which was her ultimate description for the greatest on earth reserved only for the the kings of of guitar. And so we kind of shake hands, you know, and he's smoking and I'm choking on the smoke because I get migraines from cigarette smoke. Not breathe it in, you know, and we just start talking. And I hate to over glamorize it or romanticize it, but it was just such a good conversation and remember, I, I, I'd i never heard him play. So had I heard him play, would I have been a little bit quieter or shyer? I mean, maybe. But again, you have to remember, by 77, I would interviewed Richie Blackmore and John McLaughlin and Joe Walsh and Jeff Beck and Wishbone Ash and, you know, John Edwards. I mean, I, I interviewed amazing, amazing guitar players. So I wasn't easily, you know, jaded. But it, it, was, it was an easy conversation. And... I consider myself a little bit of a snob. I mean, look, I love Blackmore. I love Purple. I love Clapton. I love Cream, the Yardbirds. I knew a lot about those guys. I knew all of, I knew all the records. I knew the deep cuts. I knew a lot about them. So part of me was like almost waiting for Edward to make like a stupid comment about Blackmore or Clapton because that's what we talked about, but he never did. And in fact, he got so deep. You know, he was talking about Richie's, you know, that staccato single note picking thing he does on the vibrato bar and he understood Clapton's playing and his finger vibrato I mean Ed was so much deeper into the music than I was I thought oh my god this guy really knows I thought this guy's the greatest I'd love to be this guy's friend in the conversation you know he runs out of the room and comes back and he's got like a pencil and he picks up some I don't know ticket style you know hey man here's my number you know call me not let's get together call me I mean, I interviewed hundreds of guitar players, and not one of them ever gave me a phone number and said, call me. People ask, well, when did it go from being, you know, an interviewee into being friends? And I think and that friend thing was maybe there from the beginning, you know, alongside of me interviewing him and being this journalist. The friendship just grows over time. Those are amazing years, 77 to 87. It, it was amazing his those early years for Ed, the first tour, the second tour, the first two records, he was ecstatic. He was just so happy every moment. I mean, one, he was receiving the accolades deservedly his. The band is blowing up, and they're selling records, and he's touring, and now he's hanging out with his heroes. I mean, that must be just a remarkable feeling. Yeah, It was an amazing time for him, I know. I can I feel it.
1: Okay, so you say Ed fit the part, but gotten to this without mentioning the lead singer of Van Halen. And I'm just curious as to your impressions of him and what Eddie thought of him because they're yin and yang. They, it's like Jagger and Richards. They need each other Absolutely. to, they need to feed off each other. What were your impressions Absolutely. of this lead singer, David Lee Roth, and, and what he brought to the mix?
2: I only ever met Dave. Well, I probably met him.
1: Well, what about on that first show? You, you know, when you met Eddie, um, you saw their show at the Whiskey that night.
2: Okay, well, I can tell you, and this is going to bring the wrath of a lot of people down, though I write about it in the book. I couldn't understand it. I thought, here's this unbelievable guitar player and there's this guy up there and I, I just couldn't get it. I interviewed um, Jim Dandy from Black Oak several times. Black Oak, somehow they were opening for like every band in, around town at the Hollywood Palladium. I think they were opening at the Whiskey. I mean, they didn't open for Van Halen, but they opened for a lot of bands. And I would interviewed Jim Dandy I think a couple times. I'd seen him several times and I thought, it's Grim Dandy, but it's not as good. I didn't think he was a very good singer. I, I thought as a front guy, I mean, he was athletic and he moved around. I just thought it was a he was a little clownish, but I came to realize that he filled that role that Edward was incapable of doing, which is the front guy. Obviously Edward wasn't gonna sing, but so Edward was a pretty good singer and he did sing in his in earlier bands. Um, but he wasn't going to be a lead singer. That's not what he wanted to do. When I heard Dave on the first record, you know, and I write about it, I I didn't get it. I didn't think Dave was that good of a singer. And again, I tried to describe why I felt that way. Because again, I was from an earlier generation. And I was used to hearing Stevie Woodward and Gary Brooker from Procol Harem and Roger Daltrey and Jack Bruce. These astonishingly great singers. And not that Dave had to be this writable singer, but... It just never hit me. As I was alluding to, I I met Dave a few times, and he was a very genial guy, very, very bright guy. He was clever, he was quick, and people got off on that. And obviously, I missed what everybody else understood, because they all embraced Dave. Very rarely would you hear somebody say, God, man, I love Van Halen, but I, I don't care for Dave. You rarely heard that. So, and, and I came to realize that Dave was an important part of that. Dave had a lot to do with the graphics and the look and the videos. And that, that's that's crucial. All those the lyrics, all those melodies are Dave. I can't take anything away from the guy on, on that level. And the second singer? Second singer, Sammy. Ed was ecstatic. When Sammy came into the band, he was really happy. But he had rights early on. He was never a fan of Sammy's writing. And, I mean, really put it down, and I, and, and I was thinking, well, you're going to have a singer in the band, and you don't care for his writing. But you know, Sammy came in, and and, and Ed's writing sort of hit another level on Fifty One Fifty, right? It was sort of that elevation from uh, nineteen eighty four, and uh, those first records with Sammy were were really good records. This is going to get me into a lot of trouble, and I write about it as well. I was never a big Sammy Hagler fan. I loved Sammy on the first Montrose record, but he fit. Perfectly with Ed for what Ed wanted to do. And Ed talks about being able to expand his horizons as an instrumentalist, as a songwriter, Mm -hmm. Uh, because Sammy, you know, was capable of, of, you know, his ranges were higher and, you know, maybe more melodically inclined. I never would have imagined Sammy Hagar in Van Halen. But Ed did
1: trust you at one point. I mean, he was playing the second album for you before it came out. Oh
2: my God. Yeah. Ed trusted me. Yeah. He played me that, you know, I heard women and children first, you know, he told me about Sammy before anybody knew about Sammy. We'd be talking and he'd go, don't print it. And somebody had brought it up to me that he didn't want you to print it in the magazines. And I go, well, yeah, of course, of, of course I, I knew that if Ed's talking about Mike or, you know, Dave in some negative way, to be saying negative things about Dave or Mike and those comments being printed in a story I would publish, that wouldn't have been a good thing, right? The record label is going to go insane. They're going to come down on him Ed's going to come down on me. So I never betrayed that trust, not one time, but then somebody said, Hey, you know, man, after you got, after you found the contract for that book, Ed was probably talking about don't put this in the book either. And I never thought about that. But in answer to your question, Dave, yeah, Ed, I think he, trusted me implicitly with a lot of stuff that he never told anybody else. I took that to heart, man. I, I never would have betrayed that, ever. And only 17 years later, because a lot of that subsequently came out, a lot of it didn't, but I thought, I have to put that in the book. You know, I've got to write that book. If I don't write that book, then I'm not going to write any book, you know. I have to be honest with myself. Mm-hmm. So that's why all that stuff came out. And that's why I, I would leave in the comments in the book, don't print this. Because I wanted people to know what he didn't want me to print back in the day and how I did keep that stuff
1: private actually that was fun when you ask a question that you're embarrassed about now like oh my god i can't believe i was this guy that would you know feel uncomfortable and holly and i still do this we'll ask a question or code it with a joke or a little titter to kind of play Mm -hmm. it off but this is what you did and you put that in the book which is a nice little touch
2: yeah absolutely man and i thought it was different you know a writer commenting about his own writing to you the reader Hey, he may not get it, but I was—I was a moron for asking that question, you know. And I'm telling you that, and that's what I put in all those little note sections, you know, blue note, and heavy note, and whole note. You know, I thought <laughs> that's different, you know. I've never seen anybody kind of, you know, reach out from being me as a writer, but looking at me as, as the writer. I'm um, missing Steve Rosen looking back, and God, that guy's a goofball. Why? Do, why would he have asked that? Why would he even embarrass himself? You know, and I thought, okay, I'm going to put myself on the line here, right? So. <laughs> breaking the fourth wall, that's what you do. Exactly, <laughs> fourth wall.
0: <laughs> you said oftentimes he would say he didn't want to talk about something, but you somehow knew he wanted to talk about it.
2: That was a fine line. Look, Ed, Ed said, you know, I don't like doing interviews, but I think if the direction was right and he was feeling it, I think he really did like to do it. So when he would say that, yeah, I, 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 I sometimes knew he really wanted to talk about it, but I had to pull that out of him. And there were was, was some amazing moments um, that happened with him. There were a couple times when it was too much and, and he would shut down, or if we'd been talking for a while, I could tell that he was kind of burned out. He was just going through emotions. But yeah, I love those moments, pushing him, you know, and him kind of pushing back a little bit. It's like, okay, this is real. This is honest. Yeah, because with anybody else, you know, they, one, they wouldn't ask those kinds of questions. Two, they wouldn't push him. They'd be a little obsequious. And I get that. That was Van Halen. I, I love those moments when I could push him a little bit or feel like, hey, I, could, I need to push this more. And honestly, I wish I had pushed him more. You know, the worst he would have said is, fuck off, then I'm done. You don't think like that when you're sitting across from the guy. Whole different things, saying those things now and what you wish you could have done. Yeah, I love those moments.
0: Okay, so he said when you asked him about Patty Smythe, he said, I don't want to talk about it.
2: Yeah, you know, I should have I asked him because I think he would have talked about it. I mean, that could have been interesting. You know, a lot of people said there's no way that you could have had a, a female fronting the band. Not that she couldn't sing. I thought she was a really great thing. But just that the whole image you know would have been entirely wrong should have pushed him you know when he, we talked about some of the family things and his dad passing you know i wanted to talk to him more about that i knew because those moments were i knew they were never going to come back yeah. you know we talk about his mom and his family i i should have pushed more but it's like
0: yeah well you certainly had enough for a book <laughs> and then some
2: and i gotta give a shout out to my art director daniel gray you know, he picked the font and the spacing between lines is a whole thing. And, you know, the covers. I wanted a book that didn't look like a self-published book, you know, and I, I think that's what we all got. And where can we find this book? com, all one word, .com. You can find the book on Amazon, eBay, Reverb, and Etsy. If anybody ever goes to Etsy. And if you just go to any of those sites and type, type in Tonechaser, you'll find the book. And if anybody out there, if you've read it, and you've dug it, please go post a review on Amazon. Amazon loves that stuff. So, got to keep Amazon happy. <laughs> Very good.
0: My last question for you Do you have a personal favorite Van Halen album?
2: That's a hard one. I mean, I love 1984 because I think Ed just grew so much as a songwriter and it's playing, and now he's got his own studio. God, you hear those guitar sounds. It's like. Yay! Like in 1984, to sort of uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or Supertramp's Crime of the Century, The Who's Who's Next, you know, where it, it elevates to the next level. Everything they've done before these bands is also amazing, but this is like a new level. I love that record. Um, I actually love the Fair Warning record. Edward is now experimenting more with overdubbing. All right, he's got time. He's got now he's got multiple rhythm tracks. You can hear him as an orchestrator and how he thinks harmonically, putting together little parts. understand why edward was looked on in that way she was an astonishing guitar player but there were a lot of amazing guitar players out at that point in time and why not one of these other guys and it, it, it's just all these these unseen parts you know it's the personality it's the thing that he gave off you know look at the smile it's his look you know had he weighed 300 pounds and was bald what he do have done that I don't know. It was a songwriting as well. Things that maybe you're you're not aware of, just viscerally, somehow everything came together. He was the guy. Mm. And who can argue with that, really? I miss him. And I'm sorry things happened the way they did between us, but I'm happy I knew him.
1: And now we have this wonderful document of what life was like as Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. It was so nice meeting you. Thank you.
1: Okay, Holly, so are you more intrigued by the guitar work of Mr. Edward Ludwig Van Halen?
0: I've got to say, Dave, that I've been a fan. I was a fan of Eddie Van Halen from very early on very early on from the very first album and yes i loved having some of these questions answered and i liked reading the book and i liked reading the the interviews and i could hear them in eddie's voice in edward's voice so what did you
1: think all right so he's edward is he edward or i mean he's eddie right i mean he's just it's eddie Van Halen.
0: to us he's eddie but he always identified himself with steve as edward fair enough so (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Sure. What's your favorite Van Halen album? I would have to go with
1: 1984 as well. It was the one that just like exploded and I I loved it so much. Uh, Yeah, so it's peak Van Halen. I could still watch that video jump for uh, again and again and again. I never got, never, ever, ever, ever got tired of it because it showed off all their personality. Uh, of each band member, and I love I, I each and every song off that, that album. I love all those other albums, but it was the 1984 that, that did it for me. So what was your favorite Van Halen record?
0: Now, you know what? I was not a huge fan of those particular songs that were huge hits, Panama and uh, Jump.
1: Because they were so good? Is that why?
0: No, I know they were good. I recognize the musicianship.
1: They were melodic, and people loved it, and it made... <laughs> made you happy I
0: like
1: melodic. <laughs> <laughs> made you happy made people happy
0: yeah. i can't believe i actually asked you this question because i knew you were going to ask me and you know that i'm not going to have one concise answer for you my first inclination was to go with the first two albums with with van halen the first album you,
1: you know it's one out al- okay so yeah there's so van halen <laughs> one is one record van halen two is a second record which one would you prefer <laughs> Van Halen 3. I should have said no, Van Halen 3. Not Van three. Halen 3. <laughs> Van Halen 3 was my favorite.
0: No, it was not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait. What, but wait. But wait, there's more. Because there is more. I'm going with one, with Van Halen 1. However, you can ask me tomorrow, and I might say that uh, that I like some of the Sammy Hagar. You know, I, I was very quick to say Van Halen 1 was my was my favorite. But I realized now how much I liked 5150. You so said you have fond memories of those too, but you don't love the the Sammy Hagar years?
1: I recognize they mean a lot to a lot of people. I like those songs, but I was not a Sammy guy. I need I need more personality. I love the, the David Lee Roth over-the-top personality. That's-
0: yeah, and the, those videos were, were great. They were hilarious, and they showcased their personalities, and I really enjoyed those too. But I also liked Dreams. 5150. You talk about m- melodic. Was that not melodic enough for you? No, that's there's, that's a correct answer. Not, yeah. Nothing wrong with
1: that. I like David Lee Roth. I like Melody. I like 1984. You like Sammy. You like 5150. There you go. Stend <laughs> the story. Cut. <laughs> Boom. Print. No,
0: done. But I mean, Too late. Okay. It's done. Unres-
1: You're more, it's already on the record now. Your favorite... <laughs> I'm reserving the right
0: to change my mind nope, next it's not, episode.
1: Nope, it's not going on the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going <good. laughs> to... All right, I, mean, so, I just
0: needed your, I needed to know where you stand today on your favorite Van Halen album. It will always
1: be 1984. I love, I, I love all the other ones for different reasons, but 1984 is peak. I have senior year, senior year of high school. Come on. Junior high doesn't mean anything, but senior year high school, 1984. I'm class of 84. How could I not have that as my favorite?
0: I just love your ability to pick one and stick with it.
1: You just, because, because I could say something different tomorrow. <laughs> and it I won't happen. hear you. That's right. But uh, yeah, but just, if you
0: sound like you, if you sound like this is my final answer.
1: Yeah. I'm going to believe you. Well, then do that.
0: I can't, I say, can't commit like that. That just, is I can't. That is a level of, of commitment. I just cannot commit myself to.
1: Just say that you love Balance as your favorite Van Halen record and we'll move on okay perfect that's it that's a yes I didn't hear that All right. so besides talking about favorite records we have uh, favorite podcasts which is our podcast we're a little biased there but uh, it comes out every week and that's nice no no big whoop it's nice (laughs) so it's very nice so subscribe you can find us at wddimpodcast.com that stands for what difference does it make find us there we have a monthly newsletter where else can they find us
0: you can find us on social media all social media at wddim podcast and youtube at what difference does it make podcast so join us please
1: wonderful okay well we'll have another one next week so we hope you're aboard oh should we do the um should we sing happy trails on the way out for my favorite van halen record diver down
0: <laughs> that is not
1: your favorite yeah. oh yes it is right now it is diver oh. down was great that was my sophomore G- year in high school my god
0: have you answered the question? Where have all the good times gone?
1: There you go. All right. So, well, Holly, happy trails to you. We'll happy meet- trails to you, Dave. We we will meet again, I'm sure, next Friday. So until then, this is Dave.
0: This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.
2: Happy trails <inaudible> to, <inaudible> to you. Till we meet again.